dear listeners, yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. My name is Casper McLeod. If you didn't know it, now you do. And joining me, my good friend, the only Richmond supporter who will tell it like it is, Patty Grinley. Patty, pleasure to have you on. As always, you must have loved Friday Night Football. Well, kind of. Kind of, kind of not. Oh, g'day, Cass. Yeah, it was a, an interesting experience for Friday Night Football. Um, which, yeah, I won't go into, but it meant that I um, didn't really get much of a view of the game after quarter time. Uh, but that's okay. Look, whenever your team get up by 109 points, you're generally going to have a pretty stress-free weekend. Um, so no complaints from me. Indeed. Now, um, it was an intriguing round of football, that <laughs> is for sure. Let's get straight into it. Our top two highlights, top two lowlights, and the player that surprised us the most. I'll let you start, Paddy. What were your top two highlights of a really interesting weekend of football? Yeah, I think um, it's a pretty pretty low-hanging fruit, but Fremantle winning at the Cattery was mm. really good, especially without Darcy and Fife. They've got, and I think Sarong as well wasn't playing. Or was he? No, he did play, I think. Um but they were a bit shorthanded and to, to have really, to have beaten Geelong at home, especially really after trailing pretty decently during the first half and then clawing that one back and holding on at the very end. Just a fantastic effort from the Dockers. It was one that pr- pretty much they had to win if they want to be taken seriously this year. And we have no choice to take them seriously now. It is probably aided by just how poor West Coast have been that they're going to have the bulk of the support from WA. And it's going to be really exciting to watch this team continue to gel as the season go on. Tabana, that was the one I was thinking of. So, yeah, fantastic effort. They're going to have to deal with some COVID stuff now. But um, up, up the Dockers, that was really, really good to watch. It's nice to have a competitive purple team for the first time in about, what, eight years, I think, Cass? Seven, mm. eight years? Yeah. Uh, the second highlight I had, I, I really enjoyed – Buddy's third quarter in the um, in the Brisbane Sydney match, but I think I really quite enjoyed that match, even though it's a four goal in for the Lions. The Swans making a bit of a comeback. You had Buddy still dominant at the age of four hundred and fifty six with three cyborg implants. Now it's it is really cool that you have a guy who's kicked a thousand goals for all intents and purposes. Probably should only have a year left yet. He can still turn a match on his on its head by kicking four goals in a quarter. But I've quite enjoyed that Sydney Lions match. I think those two will have intertwining storylines for this 2022 season, Cass. Fair enough, mate. Well, I tell you what, you were very, 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 um, I think, honourable not mentioning the Tigers. They have to be my number one. No, At no point during their premiership dynasty did they look as dominant as they did on, on Friday night. It was breathtaking to watch. When the Eagles got their first goal, I thought, okay, you know, could be in for a close one. I remember I tipped Richmond to win. I was torn about it. I tipped Richmond to win. So was I, actually. Yeah. I was only slightly off by 101 Only points. slightly. Only slightly. Um, just an unbelievable domination. Wow. Wow. It must be frustrating as a Richmond fan because you put out performances like that and yet you also have games like against St Kilda where you concede 64 consecutive points in a yeah, it's, Um Yeah, it's interesting. The Tigers are doing this development on the run, rebuild on the run thing, um, which we got a good look at 
against the Eagles with how mm. well Josh Gibkiss is tracking, throwing Noel, Noel Bolter back and leaving Robbie Tarrant out. Morris Rioli Jr. kicking three goals in his third game and having a really impressive performance. Jaden Short playing through the midfield, which I'll t- touch on a bit later. Um, yeah, I, I think it, this game does say a lot about the standard, the opposition, though, because West Coast, as good as Richmond were on occasion, West Coast, really deplorable. Um, and it's a real shame that Josh Kennedy kicks goal number 700 in a drubbing like that. Now, on to my second highlight, and it's two interstate teams who are now, I think, confirming themselves as real top four and real top two contenders. Imagine if at the end of the year, Melbourne has faltered slightly and you have Brisbane and Fremantle as your top two. Two of the best away wins you will see. Fremantle because, well, I think it's only their fourth ever win in Geelong and their first win at Decatur since 2015. An extremely brave performance. And I disagree with what Chris Scott said um, when he insinuated that the Cats were a little bit unlucky. It, it, I disagree with that because you know, what Geelong kicked three out of the first four and kicked the last three goals of the game, four goals of the game, and in between kicked I think one. Like that's a that's a strangulation. That is almost the way that the Swans played in two thousand five, two thousand six during that golden era. Um, speaking of Swans, Brisbane, their first win at DSCG since two thousand and nine. I remember that game because I was watching it as a, as an eight year old in the lounge room at Hawthorne East when we lived in Melbourne for six months. And I remember watching that game, a little highlight, a little replay of the Swans play getting tackled, holding the ball and mouthing a swear word. And I remember saying to my dad, I just saw a player swearing. And he said, <sighs> oh yeah, that's to be expected. And I said, it was a Sydney player. And he said, what? Sydney? Nah, that's not possible. That's not possible, but it was possible. Um, weird little sidetrack there unbelievable performance from Brisbane I think this year they have shown that they are I think quite rightfully potentially even premiership favorites actually more so than Melbourne I think they've been more impressive than Melbourne this year um but for every highlight as you well know for every yin there's a yang for every highlight there's a low light and if Richmond was my number one West Coast has to be the worst uh just absolutely shocking. Now, if I may, mm. if I may, I'm going to see if I can pull up some statistics here about how poor the Eagles were. Just unbelievably, the Tigers' first 11 goals of the game came from turnovers. I think they scored 70 points from turnovers during that first half, which is like the most or the second most since 2000. Unbelievable. Right, Every single time the Eagles turned the ball over, no matter where it was on the ground, you knew the Tigers were going to score a goal from it. West Coast, that was their eighth loss in club's history by over 100 points, only the second ever in Western Australia. The previous biggest one was in 2008 against Geelong by 135 points, which was also coincidentally the last, uh, the year that Richmond had their previous biggest ever win against West Coast, which was also in Perth by about 12 goals. Mm. Something about the Tigers playing the Eagles in Perth. Something about it. Not so much last year, but yes, I'll and, take it. <laughs> message to Jack Darling. Oh, sorry, before I get on to that, speaking of last year, you mentioned Josh Kennedy. What a turnaround from one year kicking the winning goal in a great comeback to a year later mm. for the 700. 
in the only highlight for your team for the night. And just a message to Jack Darling when he was getting those Bronx cheers. I wonder if, if he spent the off season spending as much time focusing on training as he did focusing on whether or not to get the jab, whether or not he would yeah. have a better season from this point on. It's I a really tough hope, one for Jack, isn't it? Yeah. I really hope it was worth it holding out as long as you did before you could get back to the club and training. Because I tell you what, you look like a player who hasn't trained for months. Mm. Months and months. Maybe that's a bit harsh, but I don't think it is. So moving on. And the second low light, North Melbourne. I mentioned North Melbourne quite a lot on the low light list. Ugh. Last year, they beat Carlton late in the season. Seven goals in that third quarter. Unbelievable. And all the pressure came on David T. Well, and perhaps the biggest sign that they have regressed. Matchup early the following season. Only about 10 points down at halftime or so. Come out in the second half and you end up losing by 50 points. At least you have Jason Horn Francis. Because if you didn't, you would be in such a hole that honestly, I'm pretty sure even North Melbourne supporters would be saying, yep, give the team to Tazzy. Maybe Tazzy can have a better crack. Honestly, yeah, it's so yeah, disappointing. It's... it's so disappointing. And it's disappointing to see that Horn Francis is the only player showing any heart on that team. Honestly, when he gets into arguments, his teammates should be arguing his point next to him. To be yeah. poking Carlton players in the chest, just freaking getting in the face of the opposition. Although I will say it was rather hilarious. I think, I think from what I saw in the news, Silvani's slur was that uh, the kangaroos are trash and they didn't use, he didn't use the word trash. He used a naughty word. Did kind of find it funny that a Carlton player decided to slash North Melbourne, despite, you know, considering the Blues haven't done anything since 1999. But that's besides the point. Patty, what were your top two lowlights? You can't really go past West Coast, I think, for all the reasons you've mentioned. Um, it was just a pretty grim performance from then. Um, I won't double down because you pretty much touched on every element of that. Um, I think you do have to say, I'm sorry, Cass, but you do have to say Essendon a little bit. I did watch that, pretty much the entirety of that game. They just I don't know what's happened, but they look to have regressed back to that 2020 team. They've got no pep going from the midfield, giving a lot of possessions. They're not really doing much with it. They're over handballing. They get themselves into a high pressure, low meters gained sort of cesspool. Then they eventually turn it over and concede goals. And they hung on to the dogs for a lot longer than they probably should have. It looks like something needs to change. Now that Jack String is out for nearly a month with a hamstring, I can see your, your reaction to that. It's, um, yeah, sorry, Cass. I would rather eat this membership medallion than watch Essendon at the moment. Yeah, I think you'd be the only one, Cass. It's, um, it's bizarre how it's happened. I get that they've had a few players with interrupted starts to the season. I understand that when Zach Merritt does a syndesmosis in round one, that it's difficult to have your midfield all sorted. 
Um, Jack Stringer's hammy, obviously. Sam Draper being in and out with injury and not being in great form. But this team, you know, it's it's a bit sad to say that last year was an aberration. But I don't know. It, it, it's hard to make much of Essendon this year. It's almost you have to chalk up to an experience and hope that they rebound through the likes of Cox and Perkins and Reed next year. I tore Essendon to shreds two episodes ago when I compared Essendon to that god-awful fourth prize of the Caribbean movie. So instead, just before we go on to West Coast, actually, no, do you know what? Let me lead on to our first main talking point, and that is the Eagles. And I want to ask you, Patty, should West Coast dismantle their list and go into a full-on rebuild? Let me, just before you answer, read this stat. So with three minutes ago, Richmond's still yet to kick their 25th. Right, so they're 24, 15, 159 to West Coast, 7, 8, 50. Scores from turnover. West Coast turned the ball over 76, uh, 76 times. They conceded 20 goals from that. That is, I'm, I'm not a mathematician, but I'm pretty sure that that qualifies as a metric ton of goals from turnovers. That's unbelievable. How do you, that, that is seriously, right? That is like, honestly, the three little pigs, the first two little pigs houses did a better job of standing up than West Coast defense. It was pitiful, absolutely pitiful. And yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of 2009 Richmond about West Coast this year, which is just, they've got older players who are close to retiring all over the list. Um, they've got some young guys coming through, but they're not, that good yet um yeah it's it's been a just a shocker they've had to have had to play with essentially a, a waffle side earlier this season like they've of course you know they probably wouldn't want to blame COVID but it has had an impact uh yeah it's it's been a, a it's been a very the cliffs come quickly and I think when you compare this to sort of the teams like Geelong and, and the Tigers and even Melbourne um you can see where West Coast went wrong um because you can see that they haven't really regrown their list at all. You look at Geelong and they've got like Sam DeConing's coming through and he looks like he's ready to, you know, be one of the key cogs of their defence for the next 10 years. Ollie, Ollie, Jack Henry, rather, is looking outstanding as their fullback. Max Holmes was looking really good till he hurt himself. Brandon Parfitt's taken on a bit more of an important role this year. And while he's not dominating, he's an above average AFL midfielder. Like, you know, Richmond have got Bolter, Bolter, Bolton and Baker, and I won't carry on because I will all day if you let me. Um, You just, you struggle to name more than, you know, Oscar Allen, who's injured at the moment for West Coast. You know, the next best young player so far I've seen this year, um, or guy that's come to their club in relatively short order and is under the age of, what, 26 or so. And the first one that comes to mind for me is Patrick Nash, who they've brought in, who's been was at the club for five minutes, hasn't even got a, a, a number yet. He's wearing Tom Cole's number 28, and he's shown more, you know, ticker than most of the older West Coast players. So you work, Chess is not going to play probably this year because of an injury. Allen hasn't featured yet. The likes of O'Neill, Foley, Brady Hoff, uh, Connor West, Luke Stranatica, like they're just not there. They're not providing that next layer that should that they want to come through and then you've got Tim Kelly who's probably underperforming 
And then Shuey and Yo can't get on the park and Darling's vaccination stuff. It's just, it's just, it's a, it's just a weight of terrible things for the Eagles this year, and they haven't been able to to really come back from it. Yeah, Richmond's got Bolter, Baker, Bolton, and even players not starting with the letter B. Now, I know. No, amazing. Well, West Coast, West Coast. It's really interesting how eerie history is starting to repeat itself. 2010, the only year West Coast won the wooden spoon came four years after their 2006 flag. Four years after 2018, West Coast looked the worst team in the competition. Do you remember, it wasn't that long ago where playing West Coast in Perth was seen as like the hardest trip in football, right? The house of pain. You saw it on your club's fixture and you thought, oh, this is going to be a terrible weekend. Mm. Last year, got crushed by the dogs by 50 points, 55 points. And from memory, the dogs kicked 20 behind them that game. So it should have been worse. Lost to... Essendon, a team that only barely made finals, lost to North Melbourne, a team that finished dead last on the ladder. And now this year at home, lost comfortably to the Suns, got hammered by nine goals against Fremantle, got done by 60-odd points against the Swans, and now 109 points against Richmond. The only house of pain it is, is for West Coast. And it is... You know, you, you mentioned no lack of uh, the lack of good players coming through, young talent. They haven't had a top 10 draft pick since taking Andrew Gaff at number four in 2010. I remember reading that stat and I was gobsmacked. They have, they're the only team in the last 10 years to not have a top 10 draft pick. And it shows, it shows. This is the problem, right? Human beings age. And when you age, you don't become as prolific as you were when you were younger. Yeah. They've just, yeah, they've hit the cliff. They've got really not much to support themselves at the moment, the Eagles. And it's just going to be a really bad year. Um, And I don't really see reinforcements doing much to arrest the slide. They're going to have to hope that they can at least do maybe what what um West Coast, what Essendon have done and find someone just completely off the street to to be one of their most important players like a Nick Martin. Uh, so we'll we will see with West Coast. I think we can't really consider them in much really many discussions apart from number one picks for this season because it's it's really bad. Agreed. Agreed. Hey, West Coast, you can have our list manager if you want. We don't want him anymore. Dodoro. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can have him by all means. You can have him. Um, now, on a more serious note, it was looking for a while like West Coast were going to be the biggest football story to come out of the last few days. And then it got reported in the press that the game not only has an umpire problem, which we knew about this year, but specifically has a female umpire problem in the fact that female umpires from younger levels all the way up face abhorrent abuse. Patty, I want to ask you, what should be done about this the abuse that female umpires in the game face? Because it sounds like it's, it's, it's a cultural problem 
yeah, there's an issue. Um, there's a significant issue. Yeah, where to start? Um, look, it's difficult for me to probably talk about this fully because I was an umpire, not to the same level, but probably witnessed a fair bit of this sort of stuff going on. Uh, there's an issue, I think, with community football and local football about oh, it's it's a larger cultural issue that sort of leads to the same type of generally young man going to a game of local footy and just giving anyone and everyone absolute ridiculous levels of stick over the fence. And it crosses the line every weekend. Uh, and I've been, you know, a bit, I've been the, the, the person in green running around to cop that. And it has happened where there's been female boundary umpires and like this instance that was reported who have just received the most vitriolic abuse and pretty disgusting things said to them. And it doesn't change. Um, so I think it's a, it's a broader cultural issue that footy's probably got to address. And what the AFL have done with the dissent rules and sort of cracking down on player disrespect, they've overcorrected in the, this way that, okay, so players now cannot express themselves at all. Um, it was the same when they were kicking people out of stadiums for, um, for saying an umpire was bald and then saying that was a bit much. You have to be able to find a happy medium and not go as heavy-handed as they have, I think, on both these examples. Because now I think you've got a situation where instead of encouraging respect to umpires at local levels, you're encouraging people just to pretend they don't exist. There has to be somewhere in between where you can acknowledge, yes, an umpire is existing. Yes, they're in charge of the game. I'm going to respect them. But they're also a human person. They're not a robot. And they're also not there for your tarring and feathering. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty full on. When you consider also that umpires the way that many local leagues do it, I can only speak for the ones that I've worked for, but they are paid match by match. They're not, they're not um, considered, I think it's not considered a taxable income for local football because it's classified as a hobby. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to not umpire. It's very easy to get out of it. It's very easy to stop entirely. It's not, there's not much security there. It doesn't take much for someone to go, and especially a young person, to go, you know what, I'll probably have a better time pulling pints or washing dishes or doing checkout. And it's a decision that I made actually in my own life. And that was as a, as a man, that was a boy, I suppose. So there's got to be a bit of a cultural change, I think, to address this. I don't think it's actually purely down to football. I think it's purely down to the examples that we set and then especially a set towards young men. It's a, it's a wider discussion. And I think the AFL have just stomped their foot on the accelerator to try and fix it. And they've ended up running over a kangaroo. Um, so look, we'll see. This is, it, I think there'll be a lot of, um, a lot more to come out of this that I think we'll have to just sort of wait and, and read about. Yeah, I would I would I would agree with that. Look, honestly, and this might be controversial to say, and it might not, but I'll say it anyways. Australia's got a problem with sexism. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I watched? You know what I watched today on YouTube? Julia Gillard's misogyny speech. 
And to think that for those who don't know, 2012, when she was prime minister, she delivered a verbal smackdown on the then opposition leader, Tony Abbott, for his vitriolic sexist language and attitudes and double standards. And what's amazing is that we then as a country went on to elect that man prime minister in 2013. And so when we willingly, not that long ago, had a leader who we chose to be prime minister, who openly said, you know, stood next to signs saying, ditch the witch, and, you know, said things like, what the housewives of Australia need to understand as they do the ironing, and disgusting sexist things like that. It doesn't surprise me the fact that as a society, we abuse female umpires. So in terms of what the AFL needs to do, I think coming out and, and firmly speaking against it is a really good idea. Um, AFL players need to be really mindful to not perpetuate that sexism through their language and through their actions. And I think as well, it needs to be on the onus of, of supporters at games where you, where you hear sexist language being used. You've got to call it out. And that whole attitude of, oh, well, you know, boys will be boys. What are you going to do? Cannot fly anymore. It cannot be accepted. And so I think, truth be told, it's, it's not entirely fair to put the blame entirely at the AFL's feet on this. No. Um, it's not fair because it's a wider cultural problem. Um, and it's been going on for decades, if not centuries ever since ever since white people first came to this to these to these shores um and it's really it's disappointing the fact that in 2022 we still have these problems and i my heart goes out to every single umpire especially female umpires um because honestly as a supporter sure i get emotion i get emotional during games um, as an Essendon supporter, especially Patty, you you are very well aware of the fact that us Essendon supporters often don't like umpires, but that doesn't mean I abuse them. Doesn't mean I abuse them just because it's a game. It's just a game for crying out loud. And so, if you're the kind of person who abuses umpires and who says sexist language just in general, just reevaluate yourself, because honestly. Yeah, just reevaluate itself. I don't know what else to say. I don't know. Yeah. Now on to, I'm surprised St Kilda didn't come up in in either our lists of um of low lights. Uh, a lot of talk from St Kilda fans and from some people in the um in the AFL industry that the Saints have sold themselves out of two wins against the Crows and now against the Power in back to back years because the game was in cans now patty i want to ask you is it right to put the blame for the port adelaide loss solely on the venue uh no they kick poorly and this is a consistent issue with the saints um i still maintain they've probably got about three forwards and that's king higgins and butler and 
I reckon over the preseason, I was saying they've got three genuine forwards. They're not going to kick five goals every match, and then Higgins and King kick five goals every match. Um, so they they kick four goals in this game. It's yeah. Look, it wasn't a great spectacle. Spectacle in Cairns. I don't think you would have like if you put Richmond and West Coast on that venue. And I, I think Richmond obviously still probably still win, but I, I don't, it's not 109 points. It's a tough place to play footy. Um, I don't really want to smash the Saints for it because they've shown that they're clearly good this year. They haven't. They. I don't think they've quite shown how good. And I think a loss like this to a team like Port Adelaide, who are absolutely desperate to scrag one no matter how, is only an issue if they let it be an issue on for the next couple of weeks. They've just got to bounce back. Like, you just have to put this game in the never watch again fire, which I was doing as a supporter anyway, because it was a really tough, really tough one to to keep up with. Um, and you move on. They The kicking is an issue, but I don't think, they're going to do themselves any favours overanalyzing this loss because it's unlikely that they're going to be playing in conditions like that on too many more occasions this season. Oh, it was a throwback to 2020 where you had regular, regularly had games this low scoring. Yeah, um, but they, the scoring shots were fine. It was just about the ability well, to put it through the middle the thing, ones. Right? This is the thing. St Kilda supporters putting it down to the venue. I don't buy that in the slightest. They started off kicking three goals, 321, which is, you know, decent. It's not great, but to go 50% is okay. However, their next 16 scoring shots, 115-21. You cannot blame the venue on that. You, You cannot do that. You cannot do that because they were missing goals from dead in front. From dead in front. And it's been an issue, and it has been an issue ongoing all year. Honestly, it's it's and and go back to last year, right? Because St. Kilda fans say, well, if it was at Marvel, we wouldn't have lost that game. Right. Go back to last year, round nine, 2021, they kicked 517 at Marvel Stadium. Roof closed. What's the excuse then? Hmm. Against Cam in, in Canberra against the Giants, they kicked 1017. Can't blame the humidity there. It's Blue in camera for crying out loud. Honestly, players should be able to kick goals no matter where the game is played, especially if it's dead in front, 30 meters out. Higgins missing easy goals, King missing easy goals. Just, it was honestly, if it ended up a draw, it was going to be the most amazing draw I've ever seen in my entire life. And of course, <laughs> it was the behind that ended up being the, uh, the winning score there in the end. But no, you can't blame the venue on that. And anyone at St Kilda who, honestly, right, truth be told, I think the Saints have overperformed a little bit. They are yet to play full quarters of football. And who have they beaten? Okay, fine, they beat Fremantle and Perth. That's a legitimately good win. But round three through round six, who have they beaten? No one. And yet they were able to get away with playing a quarter and a half to two quarters of really good football in every single game. Yeah. Just saying, just saying. And I, t- I said it last week in the solo episode, I said that they haven't played a team yet that has played four quarters of football in almost every single week like Port Adelaide has. And now they play Melbourne. So I'm just saying, yeah. don't get too excited. 
I don't know. I'm kind of. I'm really debating tipping it this week, but we'll get to that. <laughs> On to the final talking point. Now, last year, the Crows are flying high early. The Giants had a terrible start to the year. They played in Adelaide, and the Giants won by sixty-seven points. And the roles completely reversed for the rest of the year. This year, Crows great start. Giants terrible start. Meet at the Adelaide Oval early in the year. 59-point win to GWS. Patty, I want to ask you, is history repeating here? Yeah, with GWS. Yeah, it's... And Adelaide. Well, the main takeaway I got from that GWS game is Toby Green probably could have saved Leon Cameron a lot of stress if he hadn't have decided to bump into Matt Stevick last year. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, the Giants are a hard one. Adelaide are probably easier to get. I think they are just a little bit too young probably to be running out these big seasons at this stage. They've got too, too much youth in that team to probably expect a lot out of it. You're probably relying, you know, they're leaning pretty heavily on the likes of Keys and, and Crouch. You know, it slows out. It, it's sort of exposing the younger guys, probably for the inexperienced players that they are at the moment, but they'll be fine. The Giants, is it as simple, you think? It's just like no Toby, no Giants, Cass? Absolutely. Yeah. And this I is feel, why yeah. I do not consider the Giants finals contenders this year because I don't trust you to, I don't trust Toby Green to knock it in his own way and if he's out then the whole Giants team just falls apart so no I yeah. don't think it will be a repeat of last year because last year they had Toby Green out for portions of it and they did pretty well yeah I think I think the Giants are yeah I I think there's an element of no Toby, no Giants, but I also think that they are not as well coached as they could be. And this, it does sort of, the team sort of lacks a bit of direction. Um, you don't, I don't really know what they're doing. And they sort of seem a little bit like they make it up as they go. So I do think it's probably time that Leon's had a really good run. But I do think at the end of the year, if he's out of con- if if he's still out of contract, like you just go, look, you've had a great run, but um, it's time that someone sort of gives this team its identity back. I want if they're going to lean into the very physical giants, the uns- sort of not the unsociable giants, um, but that sort of very physical, aggressive, nasty team, even that they they've done a pretty good job at when they lean into that identity. I, I don't really think that they're doing that at the moment, though. So. I'm I'm completely off the Giants. I think that ever since I really tipped them to beat Richmond at the MCG, when Richmond selected no backline and no midfield, um, and they managed to lose, I just don't trust them as far as I can throw them. Really, fair enough. Now on to the tips for this week. We get yet another Friday night doubleheader, Patty. Before we get into it, what are you, Friday night doubleheaders are? Are you are you a fan? No. Or- no, worth trying it. I, I I do like how the AFL have sort of used, I think scheduling and COVID as a bit of an opportunity to innovate. I think that's as good of, of a use as for, of a pandemic as possible to evolve your game. 
Um, but no, I haven't been a fan. No, I think this there's something to be said about having four four games, four to five games on a Saturday. It just feels right. If you really want to have two games on a Friday, I would just split them into one on Thursday, one on Friday. Yep. Look, honestly, right, I'm good with Thursday night every single week. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, 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 and then three on Sunday. Easy. Just do that. Don't complicate things with two games on Friday night. This week, I don't think it's going to be that big of an issue because I think one of them is going to be a landslide and the other one potentially a really good game. Let's get on to it. It's a return to the scene of the crime for the Western Bulldogs. Port Adelaide versus the Western Bulldogs at the Adelaide Oval. Paddy, the last time these two teams met, which was at this ground, <laughs> the game was over five minutes into the match. Mm. I want to ask you, what about this time? No, 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 I don't know. I really don't know. I still don't think Port are any good. Um, I'm going to, I really haven't seen anything from them. Even that game at Cairns, I don't think you can read hugely into my, much into that they they had the desperation back but uh, they're still short of too many players to really take it up and I think the dogs are another team which pretty much have no forward line outside of really Norton and Waitman um, uh, yeah no the dogs will be too good I just I just don't see I don't really see them dropping this game like I get they did lose to Adelaide they've lost to Richmond they've lost games they shouldn't have it was a pretty soft kill against Essendon but Surely not. I'm tipping the Bulldogs, but I don't love looking at this game um, and trying to, to tip it with 100% certainty. I'm tipping the Dogs by 10 points. However, however, it is clear to me that both teams have regressed. Now, the question is, which team has regressed the most and have the Dogs regressed to the point where it's going to be a close game or not? Porter back, hmm. maybe. Uh, uh, I think Port Porter Porter a, a, a broken down car that occasionally someone fills the engine with sawdust and then it works for about five minutes before conking out the freeway. So we'll see how we go. I think the freeway is coming for them. I'm tipping the dogs by ten points. Now this game, by contrast, I think is going to be crushing. I don't think I have to explain this. Fremantle coming off the best win in history, could be getting some key players back, Chapman, possibly Darcy as well. Fremantle versus North Melbourne, I'm tipping the Dockers by 45 points, and to be honest with you, that feels a little bit generous. North Melbourne on Friday night, that just sounds weird. Yeah, yeah again, like double headers. I don't I don't get it. Um, Fremantle by the length of, the, of a flight from Melbourne to Perth. Uh, yeah, look, Freo are really cool, really good, cool to watch. I think they've they've done an amazing thing where they've got rid of Ross Lyon and replaced him with an even better defensive coach in um in, in Long Longmuir. I, I need to differentiate um, between JL and J uh, and and be horsey, obviously. Mm-hmm. But Justin Longmuir has got them absolutely humming, and they've now got confidence. Freo, I think taking a big scalp away from home is going to really set them up. So I'm taking Frio by well, go 50 points um, just to, to plop that in. And then they've got, you know, they go Gold Coast at Metricon the week after. So that's probably another one. They get Collingwood at home after that. And then they have Melbourne at the MCG. 
in, in um in round eleven, which I think is just that's the one I'm really looking forward to. Mm. Could potentially Fremantle be the first team this year to give Melbourne a loss? Wouldn't that nah, be I, because the Saints will do it this week? But we'll get to that. <laughs> you are bold tipping that. Now, yeah, we'll take it. Richmond versus Collingwood. Saturday afternoon at the MCG. Paddy, yeah. what's going to happen here? What's going to happen is that I'm going to put my phone on complete dead because I'm working the entire time and yeah. I'm going to watch the replay when I get home. Um, oh, Dusty's coming back, isn't he? So I think, yeah, you have to – I'm going to just have to tip Richmond because I just think Martin coming back, they looked – they didn't look – I don't know if they looked ominous against the Eagles, but the, the I think the Eagles have sort of played them into form. And there's nothing that gets this sort of Richmond unit up, the club up as it is at the moment, than a, a game against Collingwood at the MCG when they're in when Richmond are in form, when they're gunning. Um, so I'm going to take the Tigers by tw- 21 points. And, but I think this will be a really good game. It's, it's just I just wish I was going the traditional one like two o'clock time slot Saturday at the G. I reckon you might get seventy k to this one. I really hope so. I really hope so. It deserves it. Sixty to seventy thousand. Uh, this is quite possibly the most coin tossy game of the weekend. I'm tipping Richmond by seven points, mostly because I don't want Collingwood to win but also because I think finally those big injuries from Anzac Day are going to really hurt, excuse me, hurt Collingwood because they're playing a good team. Richmond, Richmond are a good team, you know? On their day, they can beat anyone. And I think they'll beat Collingwood in a thriller. Wouldn't be surprised though if the Pies win. Now onto the Swans and the Suns. Try saying that 10 times fast if you have a list. Believe me, it is tricky. The Swans and the Suns. Now the Suns, often suffocate the swans uh the i'm just see if i can do this entire bit in alliteration the suns uh swiftly simply, the suns <laughs> simply stun the swans on numerous occasions wow, this is really difficult how does dr seuss do it i guess he rhymes not so much the alliteration stuff anyways you've done a good job yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm, I'll be here all week. Um, <laughs> Swans by 10 points, just because I do think coming off of a loss, um, they'll bounce back, and I, I think they've been guilty of underestimating the Suns in the past. Um, I'm saying this more so for hope than anything else, but I really I, I do think the Swans will win by 10 points. Yeah, I'm taking the Swans by 14 points and an honourable loss again to the Suns, and they're really... Yeah, I was, I don't, yeah, Gold Coast. Uh, you just—they really just needed to win that game against Collingwood, didn't they? Like that, they just keep doing this. They suck you in, and then they go. Actually, <laughs> but yeah, no, this this should be a Sydney win. Um, I do have some trepidation purely because they just seem to drop games to Gold Coast occasionally um, when you just don't expect it. Like that one, I think, in 2000, I can't remember the, was it 19? They lost at the SCG just out of nowhere. Yeah, um, 2018. 2018, which is close. Um, but I don't think it'll happen this time. Uh, the One of the better clubs in the AFL should get this done. Now on to this game. 
which is really intriguing. Dangerfield comes back in. The Giants have, they rediscovered some form. It's the Giants and the Cats in Canberra. Patty. Can yeah, man. The cats, can the Cats rebound or will the Giants beat the Cats again? Yeah, the, the fact that if, if one, one T green and the other T green line up for the, for the Giants, they're going to be formidable. Ah, uh, just yeah, this is a hard game to get up for for Geelong. Like you're traveling Canberra. I don't know how many times they've played the Giants at Canberra, but I don't think it's many. I don't have the form guide in front of me, off but the I reckon top of my head, off the top of my head, I think it's only once. Yeah, yeah, I think that. Yeah, I reckon they've only played there once before. I'll have a quick scroll through of that as I, as I chat about this one, but. Yeah, I get a really good feeling about the Giants this week. I just feel that they've, they've had a soft kill the previous week against the Crows. It's their game to lose. Come on, come on, Giants. Like, they've, they're have they going into this game with, with confidence. They're playing a team that's just come off a really bruising loss. And, so, and yes, they get Dangerfield back, but Toby's on. I'm taking the Giants by four points. I'm... Just going to tip it, and I'm going to put my phone down. I know, I just get, I do get a feeling that I'll get let down because it's GWS. They always bloody let me down. Um, so I'll just put myself on the record and say I'm going to tip the Giants, and if they don't win this one, I'm tipping against them for the rest of the year. <laughs> you know what? I'm tip. I thought this was going to be an upset here. I thought that this was going to be a big call, but now that you're tipped it, maybe I'm maybe I'm changing my mind. No, I'm tipping the Giants for four points. Tony yep. Green, Tom Green, Big Green, Tom Green. Even players not named after a colour. I think the Giants, when they are up and running, they can beat anyone in the competition. Um, and I think that they're just starting to rediscover some form. The Ferrari is just being hot-wired at the moment. And I think they'll jump the Cats. Now, uh, this game. Mm. Essendon versus Hawthorne at Marvel Stadium. Even last year in a year where we finished in finals and Hawthorne finished last on the ladder. It was a disastrous game at this stadium. And I remember I was there first game round one, 2021, and the Bombers choked the 40 point lead to lose by a point. I remember thinking that after that game, we were going to have the year that we're currently having then. So who knows? Mm. Maybe this game will be the turning point. This is the literally, literally the only reason why I'm doing this. It's because Lewis is still out and CJ is still out. And I don't want us to lose again. I'm tipping Essendon. Yeah, I don't know, man. This is, this is again, like, I just saw nothing against the dogs that Essendon did that made me think they're going to be able to come back in this game with it. You know Maybe. what, though, right? You know what, right? We yeah. our first ten scoring shots, we were three and seven. Imagine if we were yeah. seven and three. The That's same. true, but I just think in general play, like it just, I was just like, where's this coming from? And I thought maybe Peter Wright, if he starts clunking a few, maybe Stringer putting being put through the midfield with more regularity, but clearly his his body's not up to it. Yeah, I I can't tip the Dons. I'm sorry, Castle. It's just been. There's been so much that Hawthorne have provided. I su- their midfield's been very solid, but their forward line, like with Mitch Lewis and Dylan Moore, who I just think are the most generically named players that have been just outstanding for the Hawks this year. And I think they probably, I think they continue on this track. 
the thing that I stress about when making this tip is that Essendon on a fast track at Marvel by all rights should be pretty tough to beat. But I'm going to take Hawthorne by four points. I think this will be actually a really entertaining game. Um, but there's just there's an issue with Essendon's ball movement that is quite hard to to really be confident in. That makes it quite hard to be confident in. Yep, fair enough. Let's move on to the other game before I get there. <laughs> Lions v Eagles uh, at the Gabba. Yeah. This is going to be, I mean, it's the second best team in the competition versus the worst team in the competition. And it's at the Gabba where the Eagles are seemingly allergic to the whole concept of playing good football. I mean, consider this, the most exciting game between these two teams at the Gabba in years was last year and it was still like a seven goal win. Like, think yeah. about that. It was the most exciting seven-goal win you'll ever see. This one, I think, will be a fairly boring 33-point victory. Brisbane by 456 points. Yeah. So I think in mind, that's a bit rough, mate. Maybe just – maybe don't get too excited. 455, come on. Yeah, okay, thank you. That'd be realistic. Like that. On to Sunday afternoon football. Melbourne versus St Kilda. Heaven versus hell. Hell's pretty good at the moment. Um, if you're a Melbourne fan and if you're a St. Kilda supporter, you'd probably be forgiven for thinking that you've been in hell ever since 1966. Um, I want to ask you, Patty, can the Saints prevail? Will the order of nature, heaven and hell, be turned upside down? Oh, it's a battle for the ages, the one that the Greeks wrote about in ancient times. Who's going to prevail? Uh, just Melbourne is so good that I just... I just feel like they're due a loss. Like the, the part of me that is just like football is normal and we have like a, a tight tussle at the top of the ladder in makes me think that Melbourne will have a loss, but they've looked so far ahead of every other team this year. The only thing I think that can beat them is Hubris and Jack Sinclair's mullet. Um, <laughs> so, well, not really. Um, I think it is a, a Hubris thing that we'll only see them really lose, lose many games this year. But I just get a feeling that the Saints will be the Saints will be stinging after back of this this Cairns issue that they've dropped a game that they really shouldn't have dropped. And I think things are set as best they can be for for Mel- Melbourne to actually lose for once. And I think things are set as well as they can be for the Saints to be the team to do it. They have a, they have a bit of spunk now. They know that they can defeat a team. And the one place I do think that Melbourne are a little bit weak in is they're probably in the back line just a touch because I think they can be beaten by that sort of multifaceted forward line. And Max King and Jack Higgins and Dan Butler have been working so well as as a dangerous sort of trio and they've been allowing like their mids, they've been allowing the mids to sort of make repeat entries and be dangerous themselves because people are worried about the forwards. So I'm going to go out on the limb and say Saints to win. I'm not going to feel good about it, um, but I just get a good feeling about the Saints in, in this game. I just think it's it's the right moment for them to go. They've had a bit of a hit to their confidence. It's going to remind them to be better, and I think they are now mature enough to, to know how to respond. Mm. On to Carlton versus Adelaide. I remember this game last year being a potentially really interesting contest heading into it, and then Carlton won by 40 points. And I think the same thing's going to happen, to be honest. Yeah. Um, Carlton, at their best, look like top four contenders. Yeah. 
And that makes me extremely depressed to say, but it's true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I can't say anything else about this, to be honest with you. The quote said a little bit of a, a wall. The, the tricky thing is, right, you mentioned about them being young and not being able to play out seasons, just like the Gold Coast Suns. The tricky thing they've got to avoid is falling into habits of doing it season after season after season after seasons like the Suns. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, said, yeah. Lose by 27. Yeah, I think Adelaide is sort of uh, like hitting that sort of mini wall. Um where they're young guys who started with a lot of momentum, just starting to tire a little bit. It's, you know, they've pushed into round, they're pushing into round eight now. They've had two months of footy into their legs. You can really see it with the type, with the like of Josh Rochelle. People just know about him now. Um, and when you're talking a rookie small forward, someone's going to be able to really just try and smash him all game. Um, so, yeah, I think Marvel, Carlton looking pretty good at home. They don't need much explosiveness these days to really set games up. They haven't really played four quarters yet. So I'll be interested to see how they go in this one. Now, quickly, just before we go, which game are you most looking forward to and why? Which game do you think is going to be the biggest blowout? I think Melbourne Saints is really intriguing because I think it's the first, it's a real challenge to see, a metric to see where the Saints are at. We had a measure of Frio last week when they went to Kidinia Park and won. And now we can say, okay, these guys are quite very good. Um, this is a sort of, okay, how how close are the Saints to actually contending? Um, I don't think it makes them necessarily contenders even if they do win because it's only round eight. But we're going to get a good indication of how, how close they are. Um, the one I'm not looking forward to is the West Coast Brisbane game, which will just get buried on Fox footy and it'll just be the most most obvious procession. It just looks like it. it's going to be Brisbane having a training run and just going, well, let's let's see what we can do without Joe Danaher. Maybe we put Harris Andrews forward. Fair point, mate. I am going with the game I'm most looking forward to. I was going to say Melbourne St Kilda, so to be different, I'm going Richmond v Collingwood. Two yeah, was... big Victorian rivals at the MCG. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Especially yeah. when both of these teams are doing really well. Biggest blowout, Fremantle, North Melbourne. Like it's gonna be like it's gonna be a landslide. Well, let's be honest with you. Fremantle could rest mm-hmm. half of their team, just like they did on the Roth line a few times. And they could still win by 50 points. So yes, I think it's gonna be an absolute crushing. Thank you, Patty, for joining me. Um, really appreciate it. Good luck for Saturday afternoon. Hope it's a good game and hopefully you'll be able to enjoy it more. Yeah, thanks, Cass. Um yeah, looking forward to to that replay and hopefully well, I've done this once before this year. It was the Richmond Carlton game, went to a concert, walked out of the concert hall, and the first thing I saw was a group of eight Carlton supporters hugging and embracing in the middle of the street. So hopefully we don't see that in the streets of Williamstown on Saturday evening. Uh fingers crossed. Um and thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of the Through the Banner podcast. Um will Essendon's goal kicking accuracy be able to be straighter than my sexuality because honestly it's made me look straight by comparison multiple times this season and patty as you are well aware as a good friend of mine that is saying a lot um can collingwood see another massive upset by being in richmond can north melbourne not embarrass themselves all exciting stuff coming up join us next week as me and another co-host will preview it all and review it all Until then, sayonara.